Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Fright Night. Back, spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? You have to have faith for this to work on me, Mr. Vincent. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Welcome. Welcome to Syndicate. My name is Armand, and joining me in the studio today is Aaron. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. You may know Aaron from WSTR, Galactic yes. Public Access. Yes, Armand was a uh, a co-host on that for quite some time. Yes. Um, and we're still going strong. We have just passed, um, at the time of this recording, uh, our 157th episode. My goodness. Yeah. we've That's a lot. It is. We've been going weekly for uh, just over three years now. And, wow. uh, yeah, it's been a blast. It's a, it's a Star Wars podcast, for mm. those who don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to keep it a uh, a a positive podcast. That doesn't mean we're not critical of uh, the movies or Disney or whatever, but we try to keep it light and fun and entertaining. Um, we have a uh, we have different hosts, different segments there, and it's just a blast. Like you think after three years, you pretty much talk about everything that you could talk about with Star Wars, but it's just a bottomless pit. It really is. Yeah. So we have, we have a lot of fun there available wherever podcasts are available. Awesome. Uh, WSTR, Galactic Public Access. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining me in syndicates and uh, with this new endeavor that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So today, before we really get into it, 
Uh, we watched Fright Night from 1985. Yes, we did. Now, Aaron, before we get into the plot and the themes and the characters, have you ever watched a horror movie before Fright Night, or was this your first outing with horror? I, I've watched many horror movies. I would I would not consider myself an enthusiast mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, they 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 do have a special place in my heart. Really? Um, yes, I very much enjoyed uh, the first few Friday the Thirteenth movies, mm-hmm. uh, first few Nightmare on Elm Street films, um, and basically basically that classic horror era, gotcha. which Fright Night finds itself perfectly in the middle of. Yep. Um, so because of that, I had a lot of appreciation for this film. Um, so that yeah, I, I was I was no stranger to horror movies. Uh, <laughs> When I watched this one. Yeah, for me, because um, this was your first time watching Fright Night, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I recently discovered Fright Night, too, because I came from your boat, too, which is I love the horror movies, which is, you know, Friday the 13th, Halloween, uh, those slasher movies from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, growing up, my friends and I, like, watched almost all of those movies. And for some reason, we didn't get to Fright Night, Um yeah, like I don't know why this flew under my radar, but I definitely missed it growing up. I always heard about it, especially they did that remake in 2011 yeah. with uh, David Tennant, aka Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's how I learned about the IP. But um, I had the chance to watch this movie in theaters. Really? Yes. Um, it was a 30th. Was it Music Box? No, it was not Music Box. It okay. was, um, I believe, it was a horror movie convention. Hosted by Bruce Campbell. <laughs> That's amazing. And for those that don't know Bruce Campbell, Bruce Campbell was famously known for his role in the Evil Dead. Yes, Ash Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my boomstick, um, mm-hmm. chainsaw hand and everything. So, yeah, it was a 30th anniversary screening for Fright Night, and the director, um, Tom Holland, was there. Excellent. Old man Tom Holland. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I Yeah, not found Spider-Man out. Tom Holland. No, unless it's Tom Holland... Time traveler Tom Holland <laughs> that went back in time to make these horror movies, which would be insane. It's 2020. Anything's possible. It is. All I'm saying is you don't see them in the same room together. Tom Holland and Tom Holland. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah. So this was definitely a recent discovery for me. And I absolutely love this movie. Um, like you said, it's it sits perfectly in that classic horror movie genre. Yes. And what, what I was surprised about it was uh, learning that it was indeed Tom Holland who both wrote and directed because yeah. um, I was first turned on to him uh, after watching Child's Play and mm, learning okay. that he wrote it. Yes. And so... And directed. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. Um, I, I believe it was after Fright Night, but yes. um, prior to that, he had written uh, Psycho 2 and one other movie I can't think of right now, but that essentially uh, earned him the the chutzpah to <laughs> write and direct uh, right. Fright Night. Yeah, Fright Night was Tom Holland's like first directorial endeavor that he did. And yeah, after Fright Night, he did Child's Play. Mm-hmm. Um, and he used um, uh, the actor that played Jerry, the vampire, uh, Chris yes. Sarandon. Yes. Yeah. He- Most famously known as uh, Prince Humperdinck. <laughs> <laughs> For the, I was watching this movie and I'm like, where do I know this guy? Yeah, he has that face. And uh, yeah, and 
Princess Bride, Prince Humperdinck. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh! <laughs> yeah, it's funny with, um, just a side note with uh, Chris Sarandon, is like, he is not as famous as his ex-wife, Susan Sarandon. Yes. Because we all know the Sarandon name, but it's like, it's not associated with Chris. It's right. associated with his ex-wife. And that's very interesting that she kept his last name after they got divorced, because by the time Fright mm-hmm. Night came out in 1985, they were done. Yeah. Like, they weren't a couple anymore, and her career trajectory went significantly higher than him. Like, she won an <laughs> Academy Award. Um, she's, for me, famously um, in a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. If you saw that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very weird movie. Yeah. It, it, that is a very unusual move for Hollywood. Normally, couples maintain their... Mm-hmm. Shall we say maiden names? Yeah. Um, e- even when they get married, but d- it-, it may have been out of spite, honestly, to succeed with uh, you know, your former lover's name, right? Because I have a theory with that. Um, I think she kept that name because she became an actor mm-hmm. while she was married to him, and when you enter in your name into the Screen Actors Guild, it's a very specific name, and you can't change it. Gotcha. So that's why they keep their maiden name because hmm. that's their quote professional name. I always thought it just kept things simpler on a professional level. Like if you have built your fame before marriage, mm-hmm. um, you don't want to confuse your audience or I suppose new audience members, new right. people who would appreciate your work under a different name. But that makes sense. if it's a screen actor guild rule, then mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. It does. So now, let's really get into Fright Night. Yes. I mean, we were beating around the bush talking about the actors, uh, directors, <laughs> but um, so since this was your first endeavor with the Fright Night, 60-second elevator pitch. Please stand clear of the closing door. So the 60-second elevator pitch is you have to... So you know when you're recommending a movie to mm-hmm. somebody, you know, like, why should I watch this movie? Like, yeah. Give me the plot. And you don't really have a lot of time to really say the whole movie. Mm -hmm. So what I want to emulate is you have 60 seconds, like pitch me the movie, the entire plot of the movie within 60 seconds. Okay. So hold on. Oh, you're timing me in five, four, three, two, one, go. Okay. So I want you to imagine a classic horror film uh, that is bringing the vampire mythos to the modern era. Uh, you have uh, if a boy next door dating a girl next door uh, and actually next door moves into mysterious strangers who the boy next door uh, discovers are actually vampires, but he tries to warn his friends, his family, 30 no, seconds, nobody believes him. Um, he goes to, to the police. He's laughed off. And he even goes to one of his heroes, a washed-up actor on a horror show uh, who plays a vampire killer. He doesn't believe him. But eventually, he wins their support and their aid to uh, do battle against these vampires. Ten seconds. And um, ultimately, he has to save the day, save the girl, save the world. Wow. And you finished up with four (laughs) seconds to spare. That's (laughs) insane. That's how I do it. Wow. Okay. So... What was your favorite part of the movie? Oh, man. Um, 
it's obvious that it's written and directed by the same person, or I would say directed by directed with the writing in mind, because there's a lot of subtext that isn't really obvious. Um, but when you look into it, um, it gives a, a deeper, richer meaning to the movie beyond yeah. just uh, trying to set up some scares. Mm. Um, and we can get into that if right now, if you want yeah. or, or later. Um but uh, maybe we should describe the plot a bit first. Sure. Uh, so we have some jumping off points. So the movie opens with a, a nice, quiet suburban town. And uh, the camera pans into a house. And you think it's a conversation between uh, two people, but it's actually the television it's, is on. Yes. And the camera pans over to an empty bed. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, who's watching the TV? So then the camera pans even further and there's this couple on the ground making out. Mm-hmm. And that couple is uh, Charlie Brewster. Yes. And Amy. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about Charlie and Amy. Yeah. So it, it's actually, this scene is setting up a lot of the themes that uh, are going to be played out throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, we have a, we have a young couple, Charlie and Amy. Mm-hmm. And according to Charlie, they've been dating for a year. Um, but they they haven't gone all the way in their physical relationship. Yeah. Um. He he's pushing for it, and she's very reluctant. Um. But they and they have an argument about this in front of the TV set. Um. And by the way, the TV show is showing this kind of horror anthology TV series called Fright Night. Mm-hmm. That's where the name of the movie comes from. Um. And it stars uh a, a character by the name of Peter Vincent. Yep. Um, who, who's a vampire killer. So <laughs> let's set that aside for a bit. Uh-huh. And um, so they're having this argument. He, he wants to uh, fulfill their, uh, their sexual relationship and she's not quite ready, but they, they argue back and forth. And uh, she then tells Charlie that, you know, she's ready to, uh, to move into that stage and starts preparing. So on the bed, mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting that the, they're making out off the bed, kind of behind it on the floor hidden. Yeah. And I believe it's setting up, uh, that, you know, these, this is a young couple in love. They're in high school. Yeah. Um, Amy is on the cusp of womanhood and kind of the initiation into that stage is of course, uh, her first sexual experience. Yeah. Um, and she's demonstrating that she's ready to do that, but Charlie is distracted. He looks out his window and he, uh, sees, uh, what, what looks like, um, two men, uh, carrying a coffin into the cellar or the basement. Yep. Uh, and so he kind of blows off the argument with Amy and he's trying to figure out what's going on and mm-hmm. he takes binoculars. Military and, grade binoculars. Yes, military grade Bushnell, uh, binoculars. <laughs> Um, which he just has for some reason, but as every teenager would, <laughs> yeah, it was the eighties, man. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he's kind of doing a, a, a peeping Tom on them. And, uh, that really, that really piques his interest. The house next door had been for sale for an unspecified amount of time, but then it seems people are moving in. Um, and so I, I believe that's how the, how, that's how the scene ends. Um, before yeah. they go into so pretty the next much, day. Um, she was getting ready to have sex with uh, her boyfriend. Yes. She was like, I'm ready. And he is completely distracted mm-hmm. by his neighbors 
who are carrying a coffin. Yes. And so pretty much she gets mad, storms off, um, storms, storms downstairs where um, his mom is just reading a book. Yes. And she's like, oh. And watching TV. Watching TV, reading a book, you know, as he would, two things at once. Mm-hmm. So pretty much um, they argue down there and his mom overhears and she yes. was like, oh, are you guys having a, a lover's spat? <laughs> <laughs> yes. She, it's, it's very much Midwestern nice. Yeah. Um, I, I, ha- I was trying to figure out like where this movie is supposed to take place. And I knew it was somewhere in the Midwest, but with the accents and everything, I couldn't quite place it. Um, we learned later it's Iowa. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. He has a um, uh, oh, Iowa, Hawkeyes. Iowa Hawkeyes uh, mug in his yeah. room. Yeah, I noticed um, that. I didn't associate with they're in Iowa though. Well, it's not proof, but it's it's a it's a piece of evidence. So, yeah. um safe to assume I would say. But every town, you know, kind of middle America kind mm-hmm. of suburb. So after that scene, the movie really gets going by um pretty much all these beautiful women mm-hmm. are being lured into this house that's kind of abandoned or being renovated by these two men. Yes. And Charlie Brewster is trying to figure out what exactly is going on because Charlie at the same time with those binoculars is a little bit of a peeping Tom mm-hmm. and he sees um, his neighbor who uh, Chris Randon plays mm-hmm. as the vampire is pretty much seducing these women and then ends up eating them. Yes. And he sees the news reports on TV at school or in the diner or cafeteria of these women that are missing and he's freaking out. Yes. All while Amy is trying to make amends with Charlie. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm sorry about last night and this and that. And he's just totally not paying attention. Yeah. Like he's trying to figure out this mystery of what exactly is happening next door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he hears about the murders on TV, I believe. Yeah. Um, and the, the bodies are found abandoned at or dumped at different abandoned locations and beheaded. So very unusual, and it's uh-huh. one after the other. And one of them is this beautiful woman that he spots the day before, uh, who is looking for that particular house. Yeah, turns out uh, she was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another woman that he actually spots through the window. Um, yeah. She's she is disrobing, mm-hmm. and the neighbor who we later learn is named Jerry, yes. uh, Chris Sarandon's character, um, is uh, behind her and seducing her and it's this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie okay. uh, just because of uh the the cinematography and music working together it's extremely sinister mm-hmm. and this feeds into um one of the main themes of the movie uh as far as i can make it out is this kind of theme of sexual predation mm. and so we get these shots back and forth of uh of charlie spying on the activity taking place yeah. and uh chris spots charlie uh spying in on them yes. and there there's there's this very tense kind of exchange of eye contact between them um and then jerry moves to uh closer to the window and starts very slowly <laughs> lowering the uh um the 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 drape of it um yeah the curtain and and we see that he has like these long uh sharp fingernails uh and it, it's 
it's implied that he's about to do something very violent. <laughs> so, yes. um, that, that was one of my favorite scenes. I just felt very uncomfortable and it was very sinister and, uh, that, that will feed into later events in the yeah. movie. It perfectly sets up the movie's villain and I really understand the stakes at that point where, um, you have pretty much this monster living next door to you. Mm. And it's like, what do you do? And so Charlie Brewster does, you know, the logical thing and he contacts the authorities. Yes. He goes to the police department and says, you know, these people are going missing Mm -hmm. um, or winding up dead. I know what's happening to them and it's my neighbor. Like, look in his basement. Yeah. So he brings a a detective over um, personally and they enter the house. And who does he encounter when when they get to the door? His name is Billy. Billy. He is uh, Jerry's right-hand man. Uh-huh. Um, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was the middle of the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, two strange men um, moving in next door. Yep. Um, I feel that that also feeds into the sexual predation theme mm-hmm. um, of this kind of uh, suspicious uh, homosexual couple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There, there, there are some homoerotic undertones to their relationship. Oh yeah. Um, but la- later we find out it's more of a uh, a kind of vampire servant uh, relationship. Yeah. Rather than a uh, strictly sexual one. But uh, yeah. regardless, mm-hmm. they 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 meet Billy, and you know the the te- the detective starts interrogating him about uh, you know what's going on in the house. What have you been doing? Um, and Charlie kind of exasperated starts, you know, accusing him of, you know, having having a coffin in his basement. And uh, where was this lady that showed up the other day? Um, and he's sounding more and more ridiculous as he goes. He oh, does, yeah. He doesn't really handle it well. No, he doesn't. And he really like he's trying to get the guy arrested or have the vampire quote vampire known. But, you know, if you're going to seem sensible you don't say the word vampire, which he does. <laughs> which he's he like, does. he was like, you know what? There's a vampire in the basement. <laughs> he's sleeping the, the sleep of the dead right now. Yeah. And the cop is like, you have got to be kidding me. And he uh-huh. like drags him out of the house. Like you are wasting my time. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate the acting work um, by um, the, the actor who plays Billy in the scene. Cause I believe in the script it was written straight this scene, uh, but he totally plays it up comedically oh yeah and it it really comes across as just belittling charlie and uh making him out to be a fool and it works it works really well (laughs) it really does and speaking of that i really enjoy the the humor undertones throughout the entire movie um it it reminds me of have you seen Shaun of the dead i have okay like with Shaun of the dead like it's a funny movie, but it's not a comedy. It mm-hmm. still takes itself seriously. Yeah. And the same thing with Fright Night is like, you have this threat of the vampire, but it's funny at the same time. And the whole situation is ridiculous where yeah. it's suburbia, quote, nothing ever happens or nothing goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And what you have is a monster next door. And, you know, the situation is ridiculous yeah. and it's funny, but it doesn't get too hammy with it. It doesn't. Um, it really saves the, the kind of hamminess and comedy for later in the movie. Yeah. Um, but it pretty much 
for the first half plays it straight uh, and really takes this kind of risk uh, seriously or this this threat seriously that, oh, there's a vampire next door. Um, and, you know, there are scenes where the actors chew the scenery and play it up. And it is pretty funny at, at different points. But I I think particularly stuff like this works really well mm-hmm. once you set the groundwork uh, that it is serious. And so you have this contrast between the serious threat and these moments of levity and comedy. Yeah. And that just makes both of them work more, in my opinion. It really does. Um, like I, cause like Edgar Allan Poe, when he writes his stories, he says everything should point towards um, like the main overall tone of the work, which is like, if it's right. going to be a dark story, everything should be pointing towards that dark darkness. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily agree because Fright Nights or a lot of media that have those moments of like, oh, there's a comedy factor to it or there's a serious factor to it. It all doesn't point towards darkness, but the overall like story that's being told is the darkness. And you right. have these components that add to it while not being overtly like, oh, it's a humorous scene, but it's a dark humorous scene. It's like, no, it's just funny. Yeah. To lighten the mood. Yeah. And there's, um, you know, this is back in the 80s. There's not going to be like Marvel quips and, mm-hmm. um, you know, cracking jokes left and right. Uh, but there are moments like that when it happens. I'm thinking of um, who we'll meet later. Uh, Charlie's friend, Ed. Oh, um, Ed. evil Ed. Evil Ed. Uh, he, Charlie is desperate, wanting to know, you know, how do you fight a vampire? Um, and he he pays Ed to tell him, and um, Ed Ed says, uh, "Well, who am I to turn down a fool's money?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, which makes me think, like, are they really friends? They have a very weird relationship. Like yeah. Charlie Brewster is very. If you've seen Gremlins, like he reminds me of like um, the main character of Gremlins, where it's like you know the lovable schmuck, yeah, like the everyday guy, yeah, and then uh, evil Ed. Looks like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> he does. He acts like Beavis and Butthead. It's very strange. It's this very weird guy. It's mm-hmm. like, why would you be friends with this dude? Like, he's so strange. Yeah. I, I had a friend like that, actually. In, oh, uh, really? In high school, yeah. Um, his name was Matt Smith. and uh, Doctor he, Who? <laughs> not wow. quite. Okay. Um, there was one summer where he went nocturnal. Um Okay. Until his parents forced him to stop. Uh, he would, he would spend, he spent an entire day uh, floating face down in a uh, swimming pool with a snorkel mask coming out so he could breathe. Yeah. Uh, and somebody actually called the cops because they were concerned about his well-being. <laughs> um, Wait a minute. So when you say he went nocturnal, he was only up during the night? Yes. And slept during the day. And he would... Face, you know, face, face down in a pool. Yes. For hours. Yes. <laughs> but he was not a vampire. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, he, he, uh, he, pl- he pried his braces off with pliers. No way. Yeah. Uh, he owned a crossbow. He was, he was a, he was a strange individual <laughs> and yet somehow I was friends with him. Wow. That's, okay. that's, that's evil Ed. Um, he's, yeah. he's the one who doesn't quite fit in, um, the weirdo, the misfit. Yeah. And so, um, and, and so concerned about this, this, uh, this growing vampire problem, um, 
Charlie goes to his friend and says, okay, look, um, you've read up on this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you deal with a vampire problem? And Ed blows him off, thinks he's pulling his leg. Um, As he would. Yes, but eventually Charlie pays him uh, like eight bucks or whatever to say. That was a lot of money in 1985. Yeah, that was was beer money for a week. (laughs) Um, And so uh, Ed tells him, you know, you have to show them uh, a cross to ward them away, but you need to have complete faith in it in order for it to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need to stab them through a heart with a wooden stake. Yes. um, Line your room and wear... Uh, on your on your neck, uh, garlic to keep them away. Yeah, um, and that, that's about the as much as Ed knew about it. Yeah, so pretty much like the classic horror movie rules. Yes, vampires. So that brings us to Peter Vincent. Yes. So the Vampire Hunter, Fright Night. So what I really appreciated um, is like they maintained the classic rules of vampires. Mm-hmm. So pretty much. Like you said, stick through the heart, cross, pretty much the basics. Yes. Holy water. Holy water. Um, they, they can't enter your house without inviting them in. Yeah. Um, and they can't go about, they can't travel in sunlight. Yeah. None of this uh, like Twilight reimagining <laughs> stuff. It's just the classic Dracula rules. Yes. They're, they're bringing the, vampire, the classic vampire mythos into the modern day. Yeah. And what's interesting, given the context of when this movie came out in the mid-80s, before that, decades prior in the 60s, 70s, and 50s even, um, they had the Hammer films. Yes. Which were the classic Dracula, uh, Creature of the Black Lagoon, Bride of Frankenstein, Mm -hmm. like those movies. And those like dominated the horror genre up until the late 70s when the slasher films came. Yes. So when the slasher films came, um, people's tastes shifted. Audiences wanted more of that and not, you know, the classic stuff. Yes. Like we get in Fright Night. That's why I feel with Fright Night, it's very much a throwback in regards. It is. And uh, the, the character, Peter Vincent, um, first of all, his name. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a mashup between Peter Cushing and Vincent Price, mm-hmm. who are two kind of titans of that. Uh, Hammer film era. Yep. Uh, both playing vampire killers. Um, and then they, they actually do a nod to this kind of shifting trend in horror uh, where um, Charlie goes to the TV station uh, to meet with the actor, um, Peter Vincent. Right. He exhausted and, all his resources. Yes. He went to the cops. They didn't believe him. He went to his friend. They're like, oh, okay, well, if, if he's really a vampire, you have to do these things. Yes. So he does a logical thing, and he goes to his hero, Peter Vincent. Yes. He was like, he will help me. He mm-hmm. fought vampires. Yeah. He will help me. Yeah. And originally, um, Peter Vincent, he you know, he keeps it polite. He thinks Charlie's out for an autograph. Um, when Charlie asks him if he believes in vampires, he plays along and says yes. And then... Uh, Charlie makes it clear that he has a vampire problem. Um, but then Peter Vincent, he basically drops the charade and says, you know, I've just been fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because teenagers are not interested in vampire shows anymore. They are interested in people with ski masks uh, slashing apart young virgins. Yep. Which yeah. that was a, that was a one-two punch against um, <laughs> Friday the 13th. A little bit of a dig at those types of movies. Yeah. Um, but then we learned that, you know, 
this actor isn't this kind of legend that Charlie thinks he is. Right. Uh, really, um, he was this he was this actor that had a few good roles back in the day, mm-hmm. um, but then was kind of stuck in that, and he's been rehashing that for the past fifteen years yeah. with this uh, TV show syndication, and that he's you know dropped off into irre- irrelevance. Yeah, he became sort of like an Elvira character. Yeah, or even if you're from the Chicagoland area, Svengoolie. Yeah, or <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's on public access showing these old. Um, horror movies and he's pretty much living the character as himself yes and that's basically all that he has left yeah that's actually my one of my favorite uh, scenes Mm -hmm. in the movie which is like so he goes up to peter vince and he's like oh i need your help and he's like oh yeah i fought vampires before (laughs) yeah and very quickly he realizes oh this guy is crazy yeah no i don't believe in vampires please leave me alone he like rushes to his car and drives off Rolls up the window. Yeah. So then after that, they try to enlist the help of Peter Vincent. Yes. And Um, he's very reluctant. He doesn't want to help. mm -hmm. And he's like, your friend? Because uh, Amy and Evil Ed, like, see what's happening to Charlie. And they're like, we need to to end this charade. They they walk into his room, Mm -hmm. and he's got candles everywhere, crosses. Yeah. He's carving his own steaks, or whittling his own steaks. Uh, he's got garlic hanging up. Mm-hmm. The slow um, descent to madness. Yeah, they're like, okay, he needs help. Um, why don't we go to Peter Vincent and convince him to uh, basically conduct this test on the neighbor Jerry to prove that he's not a vampire? Yeah. And because Charlie will believe P- Peter, yeah. um, you know, this will help him just kind of settle things down. Because they're concerned he's actually out to murder this guy. So, <laughs> well, he's a vampire, you know, you have to, yeah, you have to shove it through, you know, his heart, yeah, the stake. So, yeah, they go to Peter Vincent, they try to convince Peter Vincent, like, hey, please do this for our friend because mm-hmm. he's losing his mind, like, show him that vampires are not real, right? So, he doesn't want to do it, but then reluctantly, he's like, you know what, okay, I have nothing else better to do. I was just fired from the TV studio. Well, um, Amy Sweet in the pot. With a $500 savings bond that she had. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so basically paid him to be there. And as soon as he heard that money was involved, he, he changed his tune. He's like, oh, because, <laughs> you know, he's being evicted from his house. Yeah. He has no job. He needs to travel for more work. Uh, I think he wanted to go to Cleveland. And so, um, but, you know, Amy sweetens the pot and he's like, oh, okay, I'm in. Whatever you want. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions for memorial day get 15 percent off your burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast and up to 25 percent off outdoor that's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Yeah. And I, I really like that kind of aspect of his character of this, um, not only a reluctant hero, um, but a coward and somebody who, uh, it's all show. Um, it's all a charade. He's essentially a charlatan. Yeah. Um, but as we'll see later, he kind of develops into this hero, uh, who helps Charlie to save the day. Yeah. And like, you have to like, think about it from his point of view. It's like, he's just an actor he's yeah. playing a role. And, you know, I think we're all like victim to that as fans of like media. Mm-hmm. It's like, you see the actor as the character. Yes. Like with like, for example, Star Wars, like I don't see Mark Hamill as Mark Hamill. I see him as Luke Skywalker. Yes. Like they kind of embody their most famous role and you kind of like see them as that person. Yeah. And that's got to be incredibly restricting to them because as an actor, you're meant for many roles and you, you, you kind of dream of that where you can have this wide range of expression um, and become many different characters. But when for career reasons or otherwise, you're kind of trapped into this one particular role that can be really demoralizing because you do want to move on into other things, but yeah. the world kind of won't let you. And Peter Cushing and Vincent Price were fortunate enough in that they were, they were so gifted as actors and so skilled um, that they were able to transcend any kind of individual role and become legends unto themselves. Um, but unfortunately Peter Vincent was not that he was kind of trapped as, uh, the vampire killer. Yeah. And what's interesting with Peter Vincent's character is, um, I feel like he is the heart of the whole movie because like Tom Holland, when he was writing Fright Night, he was like, something's missing. Mm -hmm. Like he was just, you know, focusing on, on the teenagers, like something's missing. And then he developed the character for Peter Vincent, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, this washed up actor like you described and like, he's like typecasted into this vampire hunter. Like once he introduced that character into the story, it all made sense. And I feel like the story of Fright Night really gets going once they introduce the character of Peter Vincent. Yes. And you know what else is interesting with Peter Vincent? Tell me Armand. So originally Vincent Price was kind of like written to be in that role. Like Tom Holland really wanted Vincent Price Mm -hmm. to play this role. And Vincent Price Naturally, I was like, no, I'm not doing this. You <laughs> yeah. me? He was also getting very uh, along in years at that point. Yeah. So they hire this uh, younger guy and put old man makeup on him. Just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> you know what's funny? It's like, of all the special effects in the movie, it's like, it all looks good, except for Peter Vincent's hair. Yeah. It looks like he got into a fight with, like, baby powder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's obviously, like, the actor has, like, really dark hair, and they're like, oh, let's uh, make him old mm-hmm. by putting some, like, white spray paint on his he- head or something. Yeah. I I wonder, I wonder if that was an intentional move to make him look more fake and more, uh, more, more like a charlatan. Yeah, like a phony. Probably. Like it definitely adds to his character. It's like, I am a vampire hunter. That's very yeah. eccentric, and it's just he's just acting. Yeah. It's all just a show. <laughs> um, after Peter Vincent gets you know, the money promised by Amy, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I'll help you guys. They go to um, Jerry's house. Yes. So they enter his house. Um, the whole gang, Peter Vincent's there, Amy, Evil Ed, Charlie, and Charlie's like, oh, you have to be careful. Like He's a vampire. And he's like, Charlie. I've dealt with foes like this all the time. 
Mm-hmm. And he has like his briefcase full of like stakes and holy water and yes. crosses. So like he's definitely putting on the show. Mm-hmm. And he brings with him, the plan is to make Jerry drink holy water. Yeah. And um, to prove that he's not a vampire, because if a vampire drank holy water, mm-hmm. uh, it would burn him from the inside out. Yep. Um, and he would never agree to do do such a thing. Uh, but what Charlie doesn't know is that uh, Peter Vincent has brought along just plain old tap water, you know, in a in a yep. vessel, um, to, and passing it off as holy water. Yeah. And so, as part of this test, uh, he meets Jerry, uh, thinks he's a pretty swell guy, um, in, in Jerry's house, and. Uh, he, he swears that, you know, he brought the holy water to such and such church and such and such priest, uh, blessed it, saw it myself. Um, and we all, we all know it's a show. Yep. It's fake. But you know, what's funny is like the subtleties in the acting from, um, uh, Chris Sarandon. Yes. is like, oh, are you sure this isn't holy water? Like he's <laughs> a little like guarded, like, okay, let me drink it. Cause you know, he's actually a vampire. He doesn't want to get burned. Right. And so he drinks it. And he's like, oh, see? Yeah, there are, there, there's a lot of subtle back and forths here. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I couldn't really exactly figure out why, but uh, once he drinks the holy water, he tries to throw the, the, the vessel for it into the fireplace. Yes. And do, do you have any idea why he might do that? Like from like a mystical aspect? Mm-hmm. So pretty much it like destroys the vessel and then, you know, like the power of, you know, the holy water and all that stuff. Yeah. But you know, it's funny about that. It's undercut by the very quick joke of Peter Vincent, like, oh, don't do that. I only <laughs> yeah. have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and now I don't have a job anymore. So please don't destroy my stuff. Yeah. So then he hands it back to uh, Peter Vincent. Yes. And so pretty much it shows like, hey, I'm not a vampire. Like, let's leave. Mm-hmm. And Charlie is not convinced because he knows the truth because he saw, you know, the long fingernails, mm-hmm. the fangs, the people winding up missing the coffin. Like, he knows he's a vampire. Yes. Yeah. But when he needs his friends to be there for him, um, he's not able to prove it to them. Yeah. Uh, but we do get this moment of clarity mm-hmm. uh, when... Peter Vincent, he has brought along this little kind of hand mirror that earlier he was explaining to Amy and Ed that this is the prop that uh, the very prop that was used in uh, this uh, particular episode that, that they keep talking about. Orgy, Orgy of, of the, the Damned. Damned. Yes. Um, that was used to reveal a vampire in that episode. Uh-huh. Um, and just kind of casually, he pulls it out and takes a look at it. And looking behind him, he can't see Jerry in the reflection. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, that brings me to an earlier point of the plot that we missed. Um, Jerry, uh, earlier in the movie, he invites himself over to uh, to Charlie's house. Well, he doesn't invite him. himself. He doesn't invite himself. But the mom invites him in. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, this is right after uh, Charlie gets the advice from Ed. Yeah, um, and he's like, "Do not, you know, invite him in." Because that will keep him out. And he goes home, and sure enough, his mom has already invited Jerry in. Look who I invited over. Yeah. The neighbor. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's hilarious. He's drinking a Bloody Mary. Yes. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Like, they're drinking Bloody Marys, and yes. he's a vampire. 
Yes. And later that night, uh, Jerry lets himself into the house and he creeps past um, Mrs. Brewster's bedroom Mm -hmm. and there's this great shot where he's uh walking by the mirror um in in the bedroom and there's no reflection and he's opening the door takes a look back he sees it and uh, or takes a look back directs the audience's attention to the mirror Mm -hmm. and there's no reflection and then he just walks through yeah there's a lot of subtleties with the special effects in that film yeah his like i was watching this with a friend and he didn't he didn't he didn't catch that. It's a very scene. subtle and quick effect. Yes. Like if you blink, you miss it. But mm-hmm. when you see it, you're like, oh, that's good. Yeah. Because <laughs> it adds to the atmosphere of, you know, the horror. Yes. So same thing happens um, in Jerry's house mm-hmm. when Peter Vincent opens up his little uh, pocket compact and freaks out because then he realizes, oh, this is real. Yeah. And he doesn't want to believe it himself. No. He he tries to take off. Yeah. Um, but Charlie's like, he knows something's going on. He's like, what did you see? Um, and Peter Vincent is, is, is forced to come to the terms with reality that, yeah, this is an actual vampire. Yeah. So that's when, I guess, in the story, like, that's the, the point of no return. Yes. Like, they crossed, you know, the Rubicon. They're like, okay. Like now, shit got real. Yeah. And uh, even still, Peter Vincent is reluctant to help mm-hmm. Charlie. He wants to just take off um, and pretend like nothing ever happened. Uh, but, and Charlie determines, okay, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. First, uh, Amy's freaking out. Um, Charlie's freaking out. Ed's freaking out. Uh, and they, they decide that they're going to at least walk Amy home, make sure that she's safe. Yeah. Um, and so Ed decides to, he's still skeptical at this point uh, of the vampire thing. So yeah. he decides he's going to cut down an alley mm-hmm. to, to get home. And it's the most telegraphed attack possible in film. <laughs> um, but uh, Jerry is following them home. Um, he's flying around as a bat Mm-hmm. And um, manages to trap Ed in an alley. And it's very peculiar the way he does it. He doesn't just straight up attack him. He instead beckons him to join him. And he makes the point that I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be an outsider, to be misunderstood. And he appeals to Ed in that way. Um, and that works. He manages to get Ed to join him. And... Uh, Jerry's wearing this trench coat and he kind of, you know, draws him in uh, like a modern version of a vampire's cape. Yep. And um, that's another one of those moments where very much feels like a child predator uh, where he's he's using every tactic he can to appeal um, to uh, a potential victim in order to draw him in. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's that feeling of not belonging and offering that to Ed and it works. Right. I, I feel it's a it's a it's a very obvious telegraph of the attack happening. And I thought for sure that, you know, this is when Ed was gonna bite it. No ton of, no pun pun intended. <laughs> uh but instead, um it, it's kind of flipped and he's instead seduced by Jerry. Yep. 
because ultimately a vampire wants to seduce its victims. Yeah. Whether to eat them or have them join as a minion. Mm-hmm. And in this case, Ed joins, you know, Jerry. Yeah. He um he joins Jerry. Uh and his task, Ed's task is to kill Peter Vincent. So he goes over to Peter Vincent's house. Mm-hmm. Um he's freaking out, packing up his things, wants to move out. Uh and and that's when Ed arrives, um, saying that he needs help. And then he shows his true colors that he is turned into a vampire and starts attacking him. Yep. Um, but uh, Peter Vincent is able to ward him off with the cross, uh, leaves a cross-shaped burn mark on his forehead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ed, new to this whole vampire thing and freaking out, uh, leaps out the window. Yeah. So. Uh, that was a great scene. It was. Um, and at this point we go back to, uh, Charlie and Amy, Charlie is walking Amy home and, uh, they need to go through the downtown area and they keep seeing Jerry kind of pop up impossibly in front of them. Teleporting. Yes. Um, and there's, there's a sinister music theme throughout, uh, yeah, it turns out to be the same guy who did the, uh, music for the Terminator. Yeah. Um, so very well done there. Uh, very lots lots of leet motif as it's as it's put. <laughs> uh, just a recurring musical theme. Yeah. And so uh, to escape, um, Charlie and Amy head into this nightclub uh, where the music is bopping, and they you know they take this time to just kind of hide. They figure Jerry can't get them in public, and they use a payphone to try to call the police. They don't believe them, of course. Yep. Uh, common theme in Tom Holland films. Uh, same same thing <laughs> happened all the time in Child's Play. Uh, just people not being believed. Yep. Um, in the prospect of supernatural things happening, mm-hmm. and so um, then they call Peter Vincent and tell them tell him uh, what's going on. And while this is happening, uh, Jerry shows up in the club. He has a change of outfit. He's um, you know in his hip eighties nightclub attire yeah and there's this this is great scene it's probably my second favorite scene in this movie where um charlie is on the phone uh trying to trying to call peter vincent amy kind of steps away for a second and she sees jerry in the crowd moving back and forth yeah and uh he's almost moving like a shark just like as a predator through the sea of people Mm -hmm. um he's got eye contact on amy the whole time um and draws her in and starts dancing with her. And it's very sexually suggestive. Very. Um, and you have to remember that she's underage at this point. So, Oh yeah. She's a high school and he's potentially hundreds of years old. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very creepy, but um, it goes back to my earlier point that he appeals to Ed by saying like, he's an outsider, just like him mm-hmm. join me. And you know, we can understand each other in this case. Um, as we said before, Amy, she is on the cusp of womanhood. She's ready to move into uh, the sexual arena, mm-hmm. as it were. And uh, Jerry somehow knows this and uh, really appeals to that side of her where he's basically saying, I'm going to make you a woman. Yeah. Um, ve- yeah. Very creepy. Very well done. Um, and it's it's it, it, th- this will be ex- explored later but for now um she she is seduced by him 
and starts dancing with him in the club mm-hmm. um, and uh, then glances at the mirror in the club and notices that she's dancing with nobody. Yeah. He has no reflection. And that's kind of when she snaps back to reality. Charlie tries to uh, tries to get her to leave. Yeah. Um, and he had tried previously before her noticing this, uh, try to throw a punch at the guy and Jerry just catches it and nearly breaks his hand. Um, and, and that too, is like a, it's a very hyper masculine kind of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it symbol or just archetype, but he's going to steal your girl and, uh, kind of shame you or make you look foolish oh, yeah. and incompetent at the same time. Mr. Steal Your Girl. <laughs> yeah. And then catches the punch. Yes. Yeah. Um, Charlie and Amy attempt to escape. And uh, that's when Jerry starts beating up the bodyguards. Yeah. And he shows his true form, which is the vampire. Like his eyes turn uh, orange, um, his nails. It's funny because like when he whips out his nails, it's yes. kind of like a switchblade. Yeah. The bouncers are like, I you need to too. leave. And he was like, boom. Yeah. And he's like, oh, hell no. And then yeah. they kills the bouncer and everyone starts running out of the club, like complete pandemonium. Oh, yeah. Of what's happening. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's a true demonstration of strength, too, because these are huge bodyguards. And he just throws around like nobody's business Mm -hmm. and like jerry is not like a big guy he's like kind of like average he's not like super skinny but he's like not built either it's kind of like a normal looking guy yeah he's kind he's kind of like um like michael keaton in batman Mm -hmm. um kind of like that build like not huge and and swole but you know in, in decent shape so yeah so then the stakes are raised when you know jerry is now hunting down um, Charlie and Amy. And the yeah. reason why he wants Amy is, you know, he was trying to seduce her in the club because uh, it's revealed earlier that, you know, there's a painting in, you know, in uh, Jerry's house where it shows like pretty much someone that looks like Amy. Yes. It's almost a dead ringer. Mm-hmm. And that, that alone shows that Jerry is very old mm-hmm. because like the paintings are old. And also that, you know, it gives him a reason to want Amy, which is, it looks like his long lost love. Yes. And so, which is a common theme with vampires is like, you know, they're practically immortal. So if they do have a love interest, eventually they will pass away. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to um, get her back. And you know, what's interesting um, with those paintings is like, I believe it's like three different paintings, three different styles, yeah. which look like three different eras of art. Mm-hmm depicting the same person yeah he must have commissioned it during three different art movements yeah mm-hmm. see i interpreted it as like there's three different women oh. of three different time periods so like he's been doing this for a long time that all look the same yeah and now in the 80s he found that person that looks like mm. the original person and now he wants that of this century yeah and who knows what's going to happen you know, the next century. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. And that's kind of where the, the, uh, the writing for the film takes center stage or the, the, the fact that it's a writer director takes center stage. Cause you have that subtext that really fleshes out the villain yeah. that he's not, um, he has a purpose for what he's doing. Even if you don't agree with it, um, he, he has reasons and he has that kind of human element to him. 
Mm -hmm. So what happens at the end of this scene is Amy is seduced, glamored, if you will, Mm -hmm. by Jerry. And so Jerry takes her home. Yes. And starts the transformation process of becoming a vampire. Yes. Or vampiress. And this, and this is my third favorite scene um, because uh, it is a sexual scene. Um, they don't actually have sex, but he approaches her shirtless. Um, she is dressed in this kind of very revealing nightgown. Mm-hmm. Um, and he unclasps it and uh, exposes her. And then uh, very slowly and gradually... Uh, you know, kisses her, bites her on the neck, and you see like these this blood kind of drip down. And um, not to get too graphic, but that is suggestive of um, a, a typical first time sexual experience where mm-hmm. for a woman uh, it's not uncommon to bleed during the first time. Yeah. Um, and she also makes these uh, suggestive moans during the scene. Yep. And it's. In my mind, it's supposed to be symbolic of her first orgasm. Wow. I did not interpret that that <laughs> at all, but like it totally makes sense. Because I was yeah. just seeing it like face value, like, oh, she's becoming a vampire. Mm-hmm. And I, you're seeing it as this is an allegory for like deflowering a woman. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love this film so much is that it respects that vampire mythos where um, that's really what that that's kind of representing um and it doesn't just scream out and make it obvious but it uses that uh that symbolism um an allegory to make that yeah uh to communicate that and that's really where the writing in this film i think shines um and to support that after the scene after she's transitioned into a vampire um we do see her and she looks a lot more womanly um Mm -hmm. They, her, her, her cleavage is more prominent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her hair is let down. She doesn't look like a girl next door anymore. um, Or like this kind of tomboyish look that she had earlier. Um, She looks much more feminine. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as I can tell, um, this kind of first night with Jerry is kind of her sexual initiation into womanhood. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not literally, but symbolically. So let's get into like the final scenes of the movie yes charlie and peter vincent mm-hmm. need to fight the monster yes the like, stakes are set no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah so anyways so they raise their stakes yes <laughs> and they go marching towards uh, the house of jerry mm-hmm. so pretty <laughs> so what happens is um like peter vincent you know refuses the call at first like hey we we need to we need to get amy We're like we need to do these things and peter vincent's like no like i mm. want to get out of here like he's a coward at first yeah and he's all facade mm-hmm. so he reluctantly is like it's, it's kind of like the theme of the movie like reluctance mm. like yeah. amy was reluctant to sleep with um charlie and then peter vincent is reluctant to help charlie to in any way like to mm-hmm. with the whole like revealing if he's actually a vampire and now defeating the vampire yes so he reluctantly says yes he's like okay like all right like i'm peter vincent the vampire like he's like saying it to himself as a mantra yeah to get himself psyched like okay i could do this i could do this and this is one of my criticisms of the movie actually it's not clear why he has a change of heart 
he basically tells Charlie off, says no, no way. Charlie decides he's going to go and mm-hmm. fight Jerry anyway. And then Peter Vincent shows up and says, okay, I'm here. I'm the vampire hunter. And to me, it really wasn't clear why he had that motivation to go from a coward to a hero. I think it, like initially it is unclear, but it mm-hmm. becomes more clear as the movie plays out, which is, so they go to the house, they see um, Jerry in full vampire mode. Yes. And they try to fight him off, like they hold up the cross mm-hmm. and then he starts laughing like you have to believe. Yeah, well, Peter Vincent holds it up and uh, Jerry laughs it off and says, you have to fully believe in that for, th- for that to work. And that's mm-hmm. a repeated line in the movie. Yep. And I really think it speaks to Peter's character is mm-hmm. that, again, he's a charlatan. He's a facade. He doesn't really believe in what he's doing. And it's all just surface level for him. Yeah. But he's trying. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get to that point where he is, in fact, a bona fide vampire killer. Yeah. So they try to fight Jerry and... At first, it's unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Charlie gets thrown off the stairway banisters, and Peter Vincent's like, forget this. I'm yeah. leaving. So he runs out, and who does he encounter? Is it Billy? Evil Ed. Evil Ed. Yes, that's right. Yes. He goes. Um, he goes to Charlie's house, the house of Mrs. Brewster, which is, of course, next door. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's looking for Mrs. Brewster, and instead he finds ed and uh there's this very strange sequence where um uh ed essentially turns into a dog or a wolf, <laughs> wolf starts charging him uh-huh. um and peter who had fallen onto a piece of furniture and basically improvises a a weapon out of a uh out of a a leg of I believe it's a stool or end table. Yeah. Um, And it's basically stabs it through the heart of Ed. Mm -hmm. And you have this very drawn out death scene where um, the, 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 the dog werewolf creature kind of slowly forms and morphs back into Ed as he slowly dies. Yeah. Fantastic special effects. Oh yes. It's all practicals. Um, you don't see that too much anymore, but no, um, it's all CGI now. Yeah, but if you are a fan of practical effects like that, mm-hmm. this this movie is right up there. It's excellent, excellent effects. Yeah, and other than the special effects, like the emotional weights of that scene, because mm-hmm. ultimately it's a boy that's dying, yeah, and not a monster, because he transforms from the wolf back into a human and you see the complete metamorphosis happen before vincent's eyes and he feels bad but at that moment he he knew he was like okay i can do this i can be a vampire hunter so then he marches back to um jerry's house Mm -hmm. which the outside looks like um dry ice is all over the house yes because it's a wonderful shot Mm -hmm. um uh shoot we looked it up earlier the the director of uh photography for this film um jan yes uh female dp which is very rare even for today um and certainly rare back then so pretty cool that she was able to do that yeah like we don't see a lot of female directors writers or dp Mm -hmm. so tom holland was definitely ahead of his time yes it's kind of absolutely 
So, yeah. So the end of the movie is uh, they fight Jerry. First they fight Billy. Right. So they go up yeah. the stairs uh, to fight Jerry, and um, they get snuck up upon by Billy, who's a sidekick. Yeah. Um, and... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at BolinBranch.com. code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Peter stabs him with a stake. Uh, through the heart, um, but it doesn't kill. Or no, he shoots him. Yeah, shoots him in the head. Shoots him in the head and with a revolver think, that he has. Yeah, you would think like that would kill him. Yes, and it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it sends him tumbling down the stairs. He lies motionless, uh, but then gets back up and sneaks back up the stairs. Um, and what what is it that kills him? Um, so pretty much. Billy is like an un- unstoppable force. Like, yes, he shot several times. Yeah, he unloads his entire revolver into him, doesn't stop him. So then Billy picks up Peter Vincent to throw him down the stairs. Mm-hmm. And that's when um, Charlie grabs like this giant plank of wood and yes. shoves it into his heart. Yes. And, okay. That's and what that's happened. what defeats Billy. Yes. Um, but the way he dies is very peculiar. He basically turns into goo. <laughs> And then turns yeah. into sand, uh-huh. and all his clothes and flesh melts off his bones, uh-huh. and he's just a skeleton, and that is just shattered apart. Yep. Um, wonderful practical effects. Yeah. Uh, but the sand bit, I think, kind of indicates that he's not exactly a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's more of a golem. Really? Yeah, kind of a this kind of mythical creature meant, like formed in order to serve as like a servant. For Jerry. Okay. Um, Not a bona fide vampire, um, but basically somebody who would just do his bidding uh, no matter what. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like a a guardian type figure. So just like with like a video game, Mm -hmm. get rid of the the minions first. Yes. Before you have the final boss battle. Yes. So they get to um, Jerry, you know, Ed's out of the way. Billy's out of the way. Now it's Jerry's turn. Mm-hmm. And they have to kill him uh, before dawn in order to save Amy. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's the mythos. It's like you kill the master, you free all the the, the spawns. Yep. So, yeah, they're fighting Jerry, and then it gets real. Yes. Because in the background, you see the sun is coming up. There's mm-hmm. a ticking clock. You have to defeat the vampire before the sun comes up. Speaking of ticking clocks, uh-huh. they have a whole room full of cl- ticking clocks. Right. And so yeah. when the sun comes up, it's 6 a.m., and all the clocks start they, dinging. They, yeah. They mm-hmm. just sound like these ominous bells mm-hmm. of uh, inevitability. Yep. Um. I don't know why he has so many clocks in this house, but frankly, I don't care. I thought it was a cool movie thing. Yeah. It's probably practically probably because he doesn't want to get burned by the sun. So Mm. he has so many clocks to remind him like, hey, go into the basement, go into your coffin before the sun comes up. Yes. But yeah, as a thematic point, like it's definitely like for whom the bell tolls, Mm -hmm. like the, the inevitability of your death is approaching. Yes. Time's up. So... They fight Jerry. He um, retreats to the basement. Yes. Along with his uh, vampire bride, which mm-hmm. is Amy. And she's in full vampire mode. Yes. Uh, she has like like a Mortal Kombat smile. Where, yeah, like, the shark mouth going on. I don't on. even know how they did that. It, it's crazy prosthetics. Yeah. Like it looks really good. Apparently it was only supposed to be used for like a brief few shots, but they liked it so much. No, the the the... The makeup artist for that, mm-hmm. um, they didn't really have the budget for anything crazy, so he basically whipped it up in a weekend. Uh, and wow. it's supposed to be used for just a few shots, but they liked it so much that uh, they kept using it for Amy, and they put it on the movie poster. Yeah, <laughs> and the movie poster is uh, you know the haunted house with uh, the cloud of smoke, and then you learn that it's actually Amy's face yes. within that smoke. So they fight Jerry, mm-hmm. and they defeat him by the sun yes so previously we've seen uh billy and uh and jerry basically painting all the windows black yeah we don't know why mm-hmm. uh we do know at that point that they're vampires but it's ju- it just looks like an odd behavior yeah. but it's a setup for later because uh it's it's in the basement that they're able to block out all the light mm-hmm. and billy and excuse me um charlie and uh, and Peter discover this yeah. that you know they're throwing things around in in battle, and one something gets tossed through a window, and a mm-hmm. beam of light shines through. Yeah. So then they start breaking as many windows as possible, and essentially light Jerry up. Uh, and <laughs> um, they light him up. With they light. They light him up, and it's this horrific death sequence. Yeah. Um, where basically once again all like his. Uh, uh, flesh kind of melts off um, he and he turns into this like weird bat human hybrid skeleton thing. Yeah. Um, you know what's interesting with that uh, creature model? What's that? So the visual effects artist was also the visual effects artist for uh, Ghostbusters 1 and 2. Really? And that uh, creature that he turns into at the end of the movie is an unused creature model from Ghostbusters 1. How about that? It's one of those uh, demon dogs. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yes. So he turns into this creature in his final moments, and he blows up. Yeah. Right in time. Mm-hmm. And they save Amy. Yeah. She is, uh, she's cured as a result. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we go to like three months later or whatever, um, 
there's a renewed interest in vampires because mm-hmm. of the events of that night, <laughs> and Peter Vincent gets his job back yep. as the vampire killer on uh, on Fright Night. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he introduces a new uh, a new foe to go against. Yes, aliens. Yes, which I think is kind of a wink to the success of such films as Star Wars mm. at that time. That there's a renewed interest in kind of science fiction. Yeah, and that's the direction that they're going to. But we learned that he's willing to move into new territory yeah. at that point. He's willing to take on new roles and um, be flexible and not just think of himself as this one role that he had years mm-hmm. and years ago that he stuck with. Yeah. We have a bit, we have a indications of a bit of growth from, for Peter Vincent. Yeah. It's such a great ending to his character arc mm-hmm. where he learns that he needs to change. Yes. Like times are changing and so must he. Yes. So absolutely. He definitely embodies that with showing different films besides his own or vampire movies. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Yeah. And much like the first scene, uh, the, the movie ends in Charlie's bedroom. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Charlie and Amy, they're making out on the bed now. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that they are much more uh, physically comfortable with them. Wow. Safe with, with themselves. Uh, safe to assume that they've fully moved into this sexual relationship. Um, but there is a bit of a hanging thread um yeah as as they're making out uh charlie notices across the way the house mm-hmm. next door um he briefly glimpses a pair of red glowing eyes yeah um, but he passes it off as just his imagination and as it turns out um it is uh evil ed yeah he didn't fully die it appears mm-hmm. so and he's squatting in the house next door and mm-hmm. then we roll credits yep like every good horror movie there's one one little scare at the end. Yeah. It's like, oh, the horror is not quite over yet. Yes, absolutely. So we walked through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. We talked about, you know, the actors, characters. Yes. So what about this movie? Like, why would you recommend someone to watch Fright Night? We just don't really get well-written movies that much anymore. Mm. Um, and that's what really appealed to me about this movie is... There's just the idea of subtext that there's things going on that are plainly obvious and that's the text of the movie. But then there's a lot of things under the surface that uh, are implied or that you have to read between the lines to see. And yeah. that's the subtext. And you just get the sense that there are these characters that have a history to them, that they have conflicting motivations for different things. And no, it's not the m- most well-written movie out there mm-hmm. um compared to our modern movie going sensibilities it's very predictable in a lot of senses yeah. um there's not these like great twists to the story you're not going to be that surprised but just in this day and age seeing things set up in the beginning of the movie and then paid off at the end um it's just a uh, no bullshit, just cool shit kind of <laughs> kind of story, um, yeah. and the 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 practical effects are wonderful. There's oh, some yeah. pretty good shots in the movie. Nothing, uh, nothing like a Spielberg movie where it's like, look at me, I'm the DP, all on the screen. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just a very well crafted, well executed movie um, that really I'm surprised I haven't heard about before this. Wow. Um, and so in, in that 
in that kind of sense, it is a hidden gem and underappreciated. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I would recommend it to your average movie going audience today, but if you're listening to a podcast about movies, you are probably an enthusiast. <laughs> and so for the more enthusiasts who want to see a well-crafted, well-directed, well-written movie, wow. uh, that is respecting to the audience Mm -hmm. and um, has more going on. If you're willing to kind of dig for it, um, I would recommend Fright Night. I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) And then for me, the reason why I would recommend it is pretty much, this is almost a movie for anybody. Yes. Because like, whether you're like, new to horror like this is a good introduction to like the genre because mm. it's not too scary it's a little bit cheesy yeah but it's a little bit but, weird a little bit cheesy mm-hmm. and it's overall it's a fun experience and for those who are like diehard horror fans you'll see this as like a love letter to like the classic movies yes the classic dracula hammer films and that's embodied with the overall villain which is a classic vampire, and then the protagonist, one of them, is uh, Peter Vincent, mm-hmm. which is pretty much Van Helsing. Yes. So that concludes our conversation with Fright Nights. Um, I hope for those who are listening, uh, check it out where it's available. And this is the original Fright Night, not the remake mm-hmm. uh, from 1985. So until next time. Us at Syndicate hope you enjoyed yourself. I'd like to thank my guest, Aaron, for coming on the show. You can find Aaron on WSDR Galactic Public Access. And if you'd like to keep the conversation going, please add us at Syndicate on your favorite social media platform. That's C-I-N-E-D-I-C-A-T-E, Syndicate. If you have any questions about the program or even media that we recommend, please reach out at info at syndicate.com or simply visit the website syndicate.com. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. See ya!